Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
First Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 36. Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Again, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Considering that tithes, under which we view as any kinds of offerings offered to God, become holy unto God, and is so expressed in seeds, we must remember how we must offer and how we must behave toward that which we dedicate to God. And according to the requirements of Scripture, for our offerings to honor God and express our love before Him, and acknowledgement of his authority over ourselves, we must first, for it's necessary for our offerings as seed to honor God and to bring us harvest. In order to do this, they must die. Again, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. For if the seeds that we offer and the subject of our offerings do not die, with this kind of offering, we cannot honor God, and as a result, we will never be able to sow that kind of, reap that kind of harvest that is the fulfillment of our calling. And we should note that one must never forget that the death sown by us is important in order to become holy unto God, because what is hallowed unto God, offerings can be when they are when they die. Otherwise, our offerings cannot honor God. If we do not trust and if we do not give them to the, uh, over to the authority of the person whom God has established, if we condemn him and his spending in doing so, we do not trust God and do not honor him. And if we pursue our own material benefit, we sow in the flesh, and then our offerings cannot be called holy unto God. Second, our offerings as a seed must be sown into the soil of our heart or soil of our spirit. Galatians 6, 6-8 Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In this case, what's important is the soil, not the seed. What's important is the soil where we sow the seed. The seed is important, but it is secondary. The primary thing that is fulfilled is fulfilled by the soil. According to these words, 
we find out that there exists two kinds of soils, which is flesh and spirit. A question arises, how do our money turn into a seed, how are they sown in the flesh and how are they sown in the spirit? The answer to this question is contained in our relationship of our motives. This is that which, uh, which reflects on our sowing. If we sow in order to satisfy our own desires and we sow in the flesh, if we sow in order to acknowledge the Lord in His resurrection, then we sow in the Spirit. We already know fully well that the true good and true um, virtue is defined as the will of God and pointed in Scripture and not established by specific people who try to logically explain how good is distinguished from evil. That's why I still Paul had warned that sowing and result of our tithes and offerings, we must not to be sorrowful, for we will we will we will reap harvest. Because between sowing and harvest exists a certain time which Satan tries to use in order to sow to sow distress distress and doubt. He understands that if the child of God begins to be sorrowful, he's not going to receive anything. Because sorrow in this situation is looked at on as disbelief or unbelief. If a person does not believe the promises of God, he is going to be sorrowful. And behind sorrow stands the demonic, um, demonic figure, which is known as sorrow, that comes or knocks on the door by the name of doubt. It's very important for us to understand these kind of things. Because again, I want to remind you, only that sheep that is offered as an altar, that, that sheep that is going to be killed, she is going to be called holy, sacrifice. And therefore, when people try to know where their tithes are being redirected or directed, oftentimes in churches, people ask the pastor, there's a certain group that controls this. The pastor does not have access to the money and this is a spirit, uh, special group that controls where the money goes, how it goes, and then uh, the church is given a receipt or they're explained to where the money went. They say, oh, this is for evangelism, this is for help, but it's not known where the money truly goes and practically it's not a pastor who directs where it goes but this command of people thus poor people don't understand that tithes that they have separated but they did not die because if they would have died they are not supposed to know anything else about them it's not necessary to tell people where they want how much even the cashier should not know it. He must blindly fulfill the will of the pastor. He doesn't need to ask questions. Why? Where? How come? What's important is that we die, we die when we don't know. We give to God, we entrust in their, our offerings die. And when in the, congreg in the congregations of people, people don't believe pastor begin to control him and begin to say, where he must send the money, we must understand that pastor is a kind of face blessed by God through whom come more sacrifices in church if the pastor 
is blessed by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit. God will do this more for him, but people look what look at what he's dressed in, what car he, he drives, what house he lives in. But now imagine, the pastor represents Christ. Just imagine, he is the direct representative of Christ. And if Christ would have come in the flesh, tell me, what kind of suit would you give him? What kind of car would you allow him to ride in? And what house would you allow him to live in? Could you control him, or would you give all of what you have to his feet, being joyful that you have this opportunity, because he doesn't accept everything from everyone. He accepts things only from those who are his. In order for him to accept, he must be counted worthy. And when people don't understand these kind of things, they deprive themselves of the opportunity to accept the promise from this kind of a person. Because God gives the promise to these people that we can accept when we acknowledge in this person the powers of Christ. Just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. To whom you shall forgive your sins, they shall be forgiven. On whom you shall retain, they shall be retained. Everything must occur specifically in this order of God. I fully understand that you understand this. And when I, when I say this, I am simply... I simply just excite the pure thinking that we already know. But sometimes others listen to us. Sometimes he allows others to listen to us. Yesterday I spoke to somebody from Ukraine and he said, one brother called me. I had listened to the sermon of Pastor Arkady. I really liked it. But when he said that charismatics are is a false teaching, this wounded me because I am a charismatic. But then so a few months had gone by and I began to think, well, truly, this is a man of God. If he says, if he says this, let me listen closer. And then I understood all of a sudden that we call charisma a form a form of service and not an inner state of spiritual gifts, wisdom of God. And he ran away from this church. And he then became a part of the Movable Foundation Church Division. And there are many like this. People are being saved from Babylon that they are part of. We must understand these things fully well, and therefore right now when we honor God in tithes and offerings, we are going to sow in the Spirit, because in this we are going to search for God and for knowledge of Him, and we are going to trust in the will of God, what He allows us to have materially. We are going to rejoice in this, we are going to thank Him for this. Because the essence, the salt isn't in these goods. He says the life of a person isn't appraised by what he has materially. It is appraised by his relationship with God. Therefore, a person must strive for the great riches of having the truth in his heart. And the Holy Spirit who is going to reveal this truth. Let us stand. 
And let us honor God with tithes and offerings, and we are going to sing together. That shall remind you that each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, he was called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received from God, to raise his hands over his offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that he was faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tithed that same fruit, drinking from the fruit, from the juice of the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give in purity. I did not give in sorrow. And I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority and According to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened, and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Идет тебя в небесный край, и умолк.
And so, if those who have brought their Bibles with them can open to the place of Scripture written in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, it's a familiar place that yet that still contains deep and mysterious components of a relationship between God and His chosen remnant. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. 
to look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who, by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. In studying this place of scripture, we decided to use a more perfect and closer to the truth version of this translation, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, sprinkling ourselves with the reigning teachings of Christ and having been clothed in the armor of life contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and fourth, of eternal judgment. Four teachings with authority over the spiritual dimensions of the north, south, east, and west. This is the image of the four rivers flowing from Eden to irrigate the garden, the very place where they were called to develop a relationship not overshadowed by sin between God and man. Each of the four teachings possesses in itself a triplicity of various functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and determine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. The number 12 is an image in a standard of 12 hours in a day, determining the order of the kingdom of heaven in the 12 gates of heavenly Jerusalem and in the 12 foundations of its wall. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism and the doctrine of laying on of hands, and therefore we turn to studying the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the western side of heavenly Jerusalem in the combination of three gates. The doctrine of the resurrection is a dimension of the West that carries within itself the eternally existing life of God, which first of all introduces a person to the family of God or makes him God's belonging. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. Second, the doctrine of resurrection of Christ resists second death in a person who has been born of God. 1 Peter 3.21 There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is called to save us from the second death that is present in our decaying bodies. Third, the doctrine of Jesus, uh, the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, nurtures a person into a perfect man into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Because the teaching of baptism can't grow, only life can grow life. The doctrine of resurrection is the day of Christ or year of the redeemed, although it is found in time. It is not bound to time, since it is the rule over time and governs over time. In the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of resurrection contains in itself three levels of births, which in their union are defined by Scripture as being born of God. This is birth from water, birth from spirit, and birth to the throne. 
We can find this truth in a conversation between Christ and Nicodemus, a member of the centurion, one of the leaders of the Jews, who, until a certain time, was a secret disciple. Out of fear of the Jews, he came to Jesus at night. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here he explained what being born again means. If somebody is not born from water and spirit, he can enter into the kingdom of heaven. So birth from water and spirit opens the doors to the next birth, in, to be born to the throne. The kingdom of heaven is God's throne which in practice means that only those born to the throne can enter the kingdom of heaven. Being born to the water, to water, form the water, and the Spirit allows us to be born as kings and priests. Essentially, this place of scripture means that in order to be a king and a priest to God, you must be born of a king and a priest. Among the people of Israel, it was possible to become kings and priests only one way, to be born into a royal family or into the family of a priest. The dignity of a king and priest is an inheritance because the throne was passed along as an inheritance. The dignity of a king and priest is an inheritance. It is that which we don't earn, but it's that which comes to us by way of inheritance in which we were born into, which, having reached a certain age, so while we are infants, although we were born in the house of kings and priests, we can't be kings and priests quite yet. We need to reach a certain age, and people who will do this they are going to become these kings and priests. This is how the Apostle Peter testifies to this. First Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation. But these people are chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why were they born of kings and priests? It's written that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The requirement to be born from water, spirit, and to the throne is a necessity and unchanging condition to making with God a covenant of blood, salt, and rest in the baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. Because to baptize, we are going to baptize not a dead person, but somebody who has been justified, who is alive. And in baptism, he will receive a seal of righteousness that he had before baptism. 
And in each level of baptism, he comes to this level to affirm that level of righteousness which he had already before, righteous, before baptism. And this level is confirmed, affirmed and given a name. This need and these requirements and their logical completeness were called upon to build constantly new relationships of a new man with God, depending on the degree of dedication or on the level of his spiritual maturity in order to bring him to a complete likeness of the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. By virtue of which a man born of God from the family of opponents of God passed into the category of the family of God called to represent the perfection of his heavenly Father and the dignity of his light. Before a person could enter into a covenant with God, he needed to be born from the seed of the word of truth. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And this kind of birth from the seed of the preached word of truth is defined by scripture as a resurrection from the dead. Therefore, he says, Awake, ye who sleep, arise from the dead in Christ, and give you light, Ephesians 5.14. Given that the ancient doctrine of goodness by its nature is not dilapidated and therefore forever new, we need to explore the sacrament contained in the process of the birth and emergence of the life of God and the spirit of man through the power of resurrection contained in the teachings of Christ. The doctrine of resurrection containing in itself the three levels of the life of God is the seed of the kingdom of heaven which revives our spirit out of a state of eternal death and it makes him for us a partaker of the life of God, revealing for a person the opportunity to make a covenant with God in water baptism. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. The covenant that we make with God in water baptism is called the covenant of blood. The covenant of blood and water baptism is called to sanctify us and give God the opportunity to write our new name in the book of life, so that this name could serve before God as a seal of righteousness, a belonging of God, sanctity. This is the first seal that a person receives in water baptism. The seal of righteousness bearing the name Holy unto the Lord, which we gain while making a covenant of blood with water baptism, is a new name given by God to a new person, which on one end testified a person's partaking to the heritage of God, holy unto the Lord, portion of God, belonging of God. He who belongs to God is redeemed by God. And on the other hand, in this new name, a person is given a new and ancient fate from God in the subject of his calling and vocation, expressed in the inheritance of Christ and God. In Scripture, the term resurrection relating to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because there is the resurrection of the unrighteous, there are two different kinds of resurrections, contains meanings such as the resurrection of the righteous is the life of God, 
the water of life, the spirit of life, the word of life in the city of the kingdom of heaven, the atonement, the revival, imperishability, renewal, the light of the life of God, the order of life of God, the hope of our heritage in God, implanted in the house of the Lord. The doctrine of resurrection at one point had caused many arguments among the religious, um, among the religious congregations. For concerning the sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Acts 28:22. The Pharisees recognized the resurrection, but did not have a specific teaching about it. While Paul preached the doctrine of resurrection in Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The doctrine of resurrection is an exposition of a powerful, unchanging, and consistent system containing a number of principles and laws subordinate to divine theology. This is a soaring eagle on the banner of the Western Army of the Israeli people, consisting of three tribes led by Ephraim, the son of Joseph. We have already noted that the eagle is a symbol and image of the renewal of life triumphing over death. death. The fact is that in the nature of this royal bird, there is a phase of death that is defeated by resurrection. Psalms 103.5 So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Renewal is a necessary and faithful factor, the process of which is concluded in three degrees of birth designed to act in the span of one human life. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Psalms 92, 13-14 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. <coughs> in the courts of our God, they shall still bear fruit with old age, they shall be fresh and flourishing. In order to be reborn and live the life of God, we need the life of Jesus that is hidden in his resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn not through the death of Christ, but through his resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is the result of the death of Christ. Therefore, to be clothed in the resurrection of Christ, it is necessary to first be clothed in the dignity of his death. In baptism, in what, for water, spirit, or water, Holy Spirit, and fire, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So we must stand in this death and be immersed into this death so that we can attain resurrection from the dead. So according to the doctrine of resurrection, death does not give birth. 
We're talking about the death of Christ in this case. But it kills, eliminates, and abolishes. It abolishes the old nature. Given the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the resurrection carries in itself three degrees of birth, which the scriptures enclose in a single divine wording called birth from above or birth from God. This is one and the same. There are some people who say being born again is one thing and being born of God is another thing. When it says birth from above, it means from God, not from the earth. And therefore, just like the divine trinity of baptisms, it is called to emphasize for us the death of Christ. In the same way, the three degrees of birth contained in birth from God are called to emphasize the life of Christ for us. Considering the doctrine of resurrection and the order contained in the functions of the three degrees of birth, we cannot ignore the literal resurrection of bodies and their change in the blink of an eye, since it is closely connected with death and birth. Until our bodies are transformed, our bodies are not yet adopted. And they will be adopted specifically in the life and resurrection. But we can be carriers even now. But we can be in our bodies the carriers of resurrection. In the first resurrection, we'll be resurrected only those who were carriers of this resurrection. And that's why they, when they were buried, the seed of resurrection remained in their ashes. That is going to be impossible to destroy. It's impossible to destroy matter. It was left in the dust and ashes. And when the time comes, and God will say to his son, my son, I will allow you to raise the dead and rapture the living. He will immediately proclaim this. Christ will immediately proclaim this. And then, this seed of resurrection that, has, that is in the dust and ashes, the seed of resurrection will restore these, this dust in a new form that will coincide to the glorified body of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul calls it with these words, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, as in Adam all die, so in Christ everyone shall live in their order, each one in his own order. The word order in this case means not just a sequence, but a group of closely related beings, being a part of one army. If we were careful with studying the question of resurrection, then we could not avoid one important detail, specifically that the word of God classifies resurrection. John 5, 28 and 29, marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. As we had mentioned, neither there nor there will be chaos in the resurrection of condemnation or resurrection of life. There will not be chaos in either or. Some will inherit Bliss, and there will be God's order in the new heaven and new earth, and in hell that is going to be thrown into the lake of fire, there will also be order there. Each person there will be in their own prison cell, in an eternal prison cell. And the devil also is going to be in one of these prison cells. And he is not going to torment people there because 
he himself is going to be tormented forever and ever along with those who followed him and demonstrated or portrayed him in their bodies. Apostle Paul considers an individual believer as a warrior, free from the ordinary life of everyday life, subordinate to strict army discipline or the military order of Tagma. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. 2 Timothy 2.4 In the book of Songs of Solomon, the church is presented as a formidable army, consisting of disciplined regiments with banners. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? Songs of Solomon 6.10 We know that the army of Israel had four armies, north, east, south, and west, and three tribes were a part of each, each side and each one had their own banner, and they stood around the tabernacle, one on the north, one on the south, one on the east, one on the west. It was what they had done. And on each, under each banner was a certain image, a People who are in the doctrine of resurrection are the soldiers of resurrection, which is called the first resurrection, which refers to such a format of primacy that can be withstood by nothing. So not a sequence, this doesn't mean first, second, third, and fourth. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 26. To the first resurrection, the word of God, first of all, relates Christ himself as written, he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, Colossians 1.18, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the If there would have been a second resurrection, then this would mean that resurrection can happen through someone else, or a second person, or a third person, or the fourth person who will follow Christ. The resurrection can occur only in Christ, and only through Christ. And therefore, any formats of resurrection, however many they may be or may ever occur, all of these resurrections are going to have one name, firstborn of Christ. God is going to resurrect in Jesus or those whom God has given birth to in Christ through his resurrection. The firstborn of Christ, each one in his own order, Christ the firstborn, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. From the existing statement, it follows that the first resurrection of the first order of the resurrection is the resurrection of the righteous or the resurrection of justification, and the other is the resurrection of judgment. The resurrection of judgment is also the order that is reflected in the law of sowing and reaping. Hell and death are opposed to the order of the resurrection. Only into two armies diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive does the word of God divide people. And nowhere in the scriptures is it said about the second resurrection in the sense of consistency. Otherwise, we would have had a second Christ. Because God is one, there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is one resurrection. Despite the fact that we have two deaths and their ordinal numerical value, according to the scriptures, this is still one death, presented to us in two actions. We see here one death in two actions. The first action is temporary. It only separates us from perishable bodies so that we receive imperishable bodies. And the second action of death is the eternal action that separates us from God through unforgiven sin. Well now, carriers of this 
kind of uh, death carry resentment. And because they carried resentment, God is not going to forgive their sin. They're going to be carriers of the second death. Those who hold resentment, listen to your carriers of the second death. Because in the prayer, our Father in heaven that we have studied and that we have heard from our childhood, we say, forgive me as I forgive others. Furthermore, he says, if who does if one does not forgive from his whole heart, then his father will not forgive him his sins. And he mentions a parable, not one, not two, but multiple, that this is the most worst kind of evil when people carry or hold resentment, bitterness. The most kind, the worst kind of bitterness is, or resentment is one that is towards those who are anointed. Because what is resentment? Resentment is resistance challenge to rebellion why is he challenged because he doesn't agree he feels like there's no justice and this is a great big sin this sin will not lead a person to the kingdom of heaven despite the fact that he may have been saved he was saved but he consciously agreed to carry the second death and represent the second death if you want to present resurrection forgive one another just as christ had forgiven you then you'll be carriers of resurrection. And now in the doctrine of resurrection, we turn directly to the truth, which contains the powers embodied in birth from water. At the twelve foundations of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, the birth from water is the seventh. And the seventh foundation was made of the chrysolite gem. Now the wall of the city were 12, had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The seventh chrysolite, Revelation 21, 14, and 20. I will remind you that the word chrysolite comes from the ancient Greek word for golden stone. The color of chrysolite varies from yellow-green, sometimes almost emerald-green, to olive-green and dark chartreuse, the characteristic golden hue. Chrysolite is found not only at the base of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, but also in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, from which we can conclude that when God built a relationship with the person through the powers contained in birth from water, he addresses this person through Urim and Thummim, with the voice of the Father, who for this reason represents the name of Apostle Thomas. Because precisely at the moment of birth from God, expressed in the stage of birth from water, a person becomes a son of God, and God at this very moment becomes his father. That's why specifically in this foundation, God is going to speak to man with the voice of the Father. Matthew 10.2 now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. Seventh is Thomas. Thomas is the Aramaic word Toma the root of which is derived from the word palm or righteousness. In or the Greek nickname of this name means Didymus, which translates as twin. In scripture, the name Thomas is found eight times, of which three times as Thomas called the twin. The mystery of this name is found in the words of God turned to Abraham after he laid his son Isaac on the altar, being sure that God would raise him up.
И вторично возвал к Аврааму ангел Господень с неба и сказал, Blessing, I will bless you and multiply, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, again, seed is not plural, but one, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Apostle Paul, commenting on the meaning of this oath, says that from one seed there can be not only two twins, but also many twins from every tribe, language, people, nation. Galatians 3.16, not to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Galatians 3.16 We talked about twins during our previous service. I'm not going to repeat myself again. A person who is born of God in the format of free birth from water, spirit, and to the throne is Christ's twin, originating from one seed, which is called Christ. We talked about how twins come from one egg cell and from one, um, from one sperm cell, from one seed. And scientists can't understand how from one sperm could there be two identical, identical twins, two identical people. One is formed or conceived, then on the fifth day, or on the eighth day, from between the fifth and the eighth day, something mysterious happens. And there is a separation of cells, and there is, and all of a sudden this embryo separates or divides. And then two embryos begin to grow. And as we said, this, is a, this great mystery was laid by God originally because Eve had first, um, had first conceived twins, Cain and Abel. The genealogy of Christ also contained twins in it. And when we look at twins, why God began the world this way? What is this mystery that scientists have not yet uncovered. It turns out that he is going to, from the seed of Christ, he is going to produce twins who are going to be in the likeness of him and will have the image of God. Therefore, in birth from water, or into birth from water, was placed the name Thomas, who is called the twin. Birth is the power of life and the power of resurrection. In all three levels of birth, expression, water, spirit, to the throne, the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is present. Each of these births, although it pursues one goal, carries its own functions. And so let's look at the first of them. This is birth from water. Or what is water? Water is one of the most important elements of the physical world with which God supported heaven and earth. The air that we breathe was created out of water. The land which we walk through was created out of water. Everything that is on the earth is made of water. That which people build today, building houses, Welding, metal, all is made out of water. Precious stones made out of water. The whole earth is made out of water. 
scientists are astonished that the water in the ocean is similar to the components of human blood, but they don't understand one thing. Why it's not red like blood? Why is the ocean not red like blood? There is one more element that makes red, makes red, uh, makes blood red. But all of the elements, otherwise, all of the elements found in blood are, are exactly the ones that are found in ocean water. Therefore, we must know that water is one of the most important elements of the physical world with which God supported heaven and earth. It represented the creative action of the Creator. We must know that the visible physical world is a symbol and mirror of the invisible world. Water, which we are going to talk about in the context of the teaching of resurrection, is living water, not created but eternal and flowing for us out of Eden from the throne of God in the land. Revelation 22, 1-2 And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the land. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruits every month. Revelation 22, 1-2 A tree of life is an image of the king of kings and his kingdoms, with all of the kings inhabiting it. This is a symbol of Christ and his bride. In this world, as a rule, any kingdom is comprised of a king and his subordinates who cannot be kings. But for the kingdom to be comprised of only kings is an explainable and inexplainable phenomenon to the mind of man. And yet, Jesus is the king of only those people who are clothed in, dig in the dignity of kings or those who have the authority to rule over themselves. They have the authority to rule over themselves or to prince over themselves. 1 Timothy 6, 13-16 I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord of Lords of the category of those who also reign. He dwells in unapproachable light whom no man can see, has seen, or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. You'll ask, how? How? Because Christ was in the flesh and people saw him. Also Paul said that you don't know truly then who Christ is. Because when he was transformed, and only the angel who had shown from the name of Christ that the greatness of this vision, John fell like as though he was dead when he had seen Christ, who he was in fact. Because when he was in the body, he just had an image, a character, but he had the same appearance as us. But a glorified body of Christ had such beauty, such might, such greatness and grandeur that the mind of man couldn't grasp onto this. And that's why Paul said, we don't know Christ in the flesh. He did this with one goal. People don't later on ask what was his height, what was his skin color, what he was dressed in, so that artists could 
make his portrait and then uh, and then people would worship that image the river of life from which feeds the tree of life is an image of the Holy Spirit carrying in himself the unceasing life of God in the land. The fruit of the tree of life offering its fruit twelve times are the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. The water of life dwelling in the tree of life carries resurrection to the branches of the tree. And of course, in the format of this sermon, it will be impossible to reveal all of the powers of relations with God that are possible and are called to flow in the format of birth from water. However, I will try to provide some meaningful functions and powers that are contained in the format of the teaching that yields birth from water. First, birth from water is when the life that is contained in the form of an egg cell is fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven becomes the fruit of the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished, the foundation of the world. The word that was heard in this case is the seed of the kingdom of heaven in the face of Christ and whom is God's rest. Accepting the seed of the kingdom of heaven in our heart is accepting in our heart God's rest in the format of a seed. In the seed we receive or accept rest. Therefore, to feel the rest of God in the seed is impossible. We accept the seed and we don't know what kind of fruit is going to be produced from it. We need to accept it, be fertilized, and receive and grow it. Therefore, accepting in our heart God's rest in the format of a seed is obedience to the word that we hear. Obedience is human faith that dissolves in its heart the faith of God in the commanding word about the kingdom of heaven. Birth from water, presented in the seed of the kingdom of heaven, is when a person confesses with his lips the faith of his heart that Jesus is his Lord and was, res was resurrected by his justification. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Imagine people who proclaim the level of their relations with God according to how successful they are materially. In doing so, they proclaim or confess not Jesus Christ. Why do they even then need Christ? They have material prosperity, which is which demonstrates their level of relationship with God, right? Why then do they need Christ? They said, let us multiply, but they are lying to themselves and lying to others. You see, to proclaim the faith of our heart and that Jesus is Lord is to make ourselves voluntarily dependent. It means, you are my Lord. Jesus himself was not an oligarch, and he was not a millionaire. He was dressed in very rich garments, but not rich. It was expensive, but it wasn't 
All of the means that he obtained, he used wisely. In his short service of three and a half years, he tried to ease the life of, of those who were poor and also subsidize the apostles, disciples who had left everything and followed him. They needed to take care of their families and they themselves, therefore, that which came to Christ, all of it was, was, was divided and given out to proclaim the faith of our heart and that Jesus is our Lord is to make ourselves voluntarily dependent on the person whom God has established John 13, 20, Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. How can we accept the seed of the kingdom of heaven if we don't accept the person whom God has appointed? Go church to church and ask people, not one, but uh, ask many of them, how do you act or how do you behave towards your pastor? Who is he to you? And take a listen to what people are going to say. I've told you a story before. Uh, one person had to come to me and he challenged me and he said, what will you say about Benihin? I said, what will you say about your own pastor? Or they ask, he asks me, how do you look at Benihin? I ask, how do you look at your pastor? And he says, what, what do I need to look at him for? I said, well, if you don't look at your pastor, then I can't answer you about Benihin because this isn't in my Oh, my competence. I don't even want to talk to you if you don't look at your pastor. Others said to me, I asked, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm good. I'm, I sit on the, on the last bench and I march. I don't march under the beat of their drums. I asked, why, do you, why are you there if you don't march under the beat of that battalion if you're, if you're there? People have some kind of strange understanding. They come to church with their with their own opinion, and they come as inspectors, as doctors of theocracy who inspect their pastors. Get out of that church. Find the church where the pastor is going to inspect you and not you him. Where he is going to tend to you not, as, as sheep, not you him. The church of Christ is where the shepherd tends to the sheep, and the sheep are never going to be misbehave. The sheep are never going to come and say, well, I don't agree with this. Yeah. And the shepherd, he doesn't chase after the sheep, the sheep follow him. But to summarize the above text, it follows that if we resist the word of the person whom God has appointed, then woe to our proclamations. We are lying to ourselves and gathering sin for the day of wrath. A person who resists God's established authority cannot be a twin of Christ, who is subdued by all human power and the boundaries established by God. Resistance is non-acceptance of the authority of God and the person whom he has sent. This is hidden pride that grows into resentment which, as a rule, transforms into hatred. Second, birth to water is the seed in which dwells birth from the Spirit and birth to the throne. In the seed, in the seed are present the other seeds. For example, if in the seed of one person, then it's going to multiply and it's going to 
grow. Genesis 1, 2 through 5. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Pay attention to one important element. This is divine darkness, or unapproachable or inaccessible light at which God dwells. This darkness contains within itself the intentions of God. And he was present in God before light appeared out of its depths. The appearance of this light is an image of birth from water. The creation of heaven and earth is a prototype of the creation of each individual person born from water into the temple of God. The day is yours, the night also is yours. You have prepared the light in the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Psalm 74, 16-17. The water that we are talking about and from the depths of which we are being reborn is God's plan, reflecting His grandiose and eternal plans, embodied in one single seed, which is Christ in us and we in Christ. It is He who is that only seed of the Word, eternally dwelling in the bosom of His Father, in which there are innumerable people, the number of the words that determine the perfect and grandiose scale projects of God, and the innumerable number of twins that correspond to the image of the Son. And consequently, every grandiose project of God is a person born from the seed, which is Christ. A man born of water from the imperishable seed of truth becomes responsible for the soil of his heart in sowing the soil of his heart with those words that come from a single seed belonging to the origin of God. That is why the law of Moses, which in its essence was an image and shadow of a seed belonging to the family of God, stated he was not a seed but an image of the seed, it stated that the inheritance that a person received in the land of Canaan should not be sown with two kinds of seeds, which were the prototypes and image of the two abysses and two mysteries. This is the abyss of waters in which the purposes of God abide, and the abyss of water in which are the designs of the fallen son of dawn. Leviticus 19.19 You shall keep my commandments. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon Linen grows from the ground, and wool is taken from sheep. These are two different kinds of heritages. He says, uh, don't sow two seeds on your field or mixed seeds. Deuteronomy 22, 9-11 verifies this. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. Pay attention. When you gather the seed, the seed will be cursed if you bring them together. If you sow them together on one field, the earth, the land will be cursed, although they are spread by each other, but when you dig out the seed from one or the other, it's going to be under a curse. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. So this demonstrates 
how God used his seed so that his seed when we sow his seed so that we don't sow another kind of seed human seed when we sow there and human inclusions are, in, are there then when fruit is produced this fruit is going to be cursed because we know what had happened with the first world because the sons of God uh, of the sons of God went into the daughters of others the world was cursed they began to be birthed to giants they thought that this is the ministry but it's written that the Lord was, was sad in his heart that he saved the small remnant, Noah and his family, who had married those who were from those daughters who were from the heritage of God. The daughters and men were daughters from Cain, and the daughters or the sons of God were from Shem. Here, before sanctification occurred, one had to consecrate himself. It was impossible to dedicate something to God that is not sanctified. But Cain, who held on to this bitterness and resentment, he challenged God that his punishment was too great. He was not in agreement. And these people are never going to agree with the just judgments of God. They're always going to say, this is unjust. This is not fair. Let's move on further. Third, birth from water is a person, is a person born from hearing the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Creatures, James 1.18. The word of first fruit in this verse means first gathering of fruits best part of the fruit chosen by way of separation. A logical question arises. If God wants all people to be saved and have attained the knowledge of the truth, then why only few who come to him or are called to his supper are saved? The answer is in the same verse which determines the desire or desire of God expressed in the verb by his own will, which means love desired, he turned his favor to the first fruit, he entrusted himself to the first fruit chosen by him, he placed himself at the disposal of his beloved forefather, he made a decision to share his destiny with the first fruit chosen by him. What criteria determines the first fruits of God that he so desired it? The answer is very simple, because the first fruit, having learned that who is God by nature and what God did for them, having given his son a savior to the world, they themselves desired him. They themselves wanted to desire him. After all, most people who come to God are not looking for God at all and not for the will of God, although they declare themselves to be self-seekers of God, but at the same time they see healing and replenishment of their material needs the opportunity to become famous, power over demons, power over the world. You might say, what, should we not look for healing then? We need to find God in our healing. We need to look for God in our healing. If we find God in our healing, then we're going to be healed. 
Search not for healing, search for God who is healer. I always ask, Lord, allow me to find you in my healing. Because many people have not found Christ in their healing, and then they yelled along with the people, crucify him. He had healed thousands of people, and then they said, crucify him, because they looked not for God in their healing. They wanted to make him king when he gave him a little bit of bread and fish. They wanted to make him king. But he said to them after they said this, you are looking for me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you ate bread and were filled. They did not see him. They did not seek for God. They sought for material prosperity. And only a few, knowing who God is and what God did for them, they began to search and investigate under what conditions they could devote themselves to God and give themselves at his full disposal. It was for the sake of these few that he placed at their disposal his son, having loved them because they gave themselves to him and loved him. And of course, love of God in no way can be determined by the emotional sphere of man. Because on their own, human feelings are very short-lived and changeable. Love for God is determined by the location of the human heart, which contains the conscience of man, a place of worship expressed in heartfelt love and intuition. Thanks to the commandments and laws entered into conscience, a man out of love for God begins to discipline his emotional sphere and use the energy of his emotions to serve God and not satisfy carnal desires. Therefore, God, being omnipresent and omniscient, sees and sees the intentions of the human heart in advance, by virtue of which some he loves and others he hates. Romans 9, 8-13 That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time it will come that Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. But people preach and say, Well, God loves everyone. But here it says, They have not yet been born. And he has had loved one and hated the other. Esau later then will serve God. He's going to try to do this. But God had hated him because he foreknew that he is going to neglect him, that he is going to say no to his firstborn right. What does it mean to, to give up our firstborn right? This means he didn't want to be a twin of Christ. He had rejected this because this is what the idea was behind it. Malachi 1, 1 through 4, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. I have shown you what I have loved you in 
и владение его шакалом пустыни. They may build, but I will throw down. It shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Malachi chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Psalms 45 8 says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Pay attention. Love toward God is expressed in hatred toward lawlessness in love toward righteousness or justice. Righteousness and justice. Zechariah 1.3 says, Therefore, says, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Pay attention here. In one verse, three times is mentioned the name, the Lord of hosts. Three times in one verse. But here it says that the Lord of hosts, as I have said, is a certain name of God, which means warrior of prayer. When we allow this warrior in the face of the Holy Spirit to pray along with us, then a spirit intercedes along with us. He, along with us, testifies that we are children of God. He, didn't, he doesn't just say it to us, but He proclaims it along with us. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God under the condition that saints allow Him to intercede for them. And so here it says three times, return to me and I will return to you. From this, it means that if God has hated, why? Because a person didn't want to turn to God. God loves those only when a person first turns to him. He says, return to me and I will return to you. He had created a person and made everything in such a way so that a person can search for God. David searched for God. And when he sees that a person begins to search for him, God also begins to search for him. And then they are compatible. But if a person begins to worship uh, the creation instead of the creator, he begins to worship material goods and spiritual manifestations, gifts of the Holy Spirit, anointing, um, famous gifts, prophecy, visions, dreams, whatever, the church, then of course, God will despise this person. The Lord of hosts. Return to me. We, let's take a look at how to turn one of the most important components. But this is the most. Malachi 3, 7 through 10. How we can turn to God. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept him. Return to me and I will return to you to the Lord of hosts. But you, but you said, in what way shall we return? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and there may be food in my house and try me now in this as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be a 
room enough to receive it. Take a look here. If a person comes with empty hands, this means that he is lying, he is a thief, he is not turning to God. We always have something that is found in our, uh, in our belonging but doesn't belong to us. We don't believe this. I don't do this. I have earned this. This is mine. I have earned this, therefore, however much I want, I will give. I will give whenever I want, however much I want. However, God has implemented in the life of a person. You will earn, but in this earning will always be a tenth that is not going to belong to you. This is mine. If you touch it, you will be under a curse. And you must offer it only in my house. When you offer it, you must lay your hand on it and say, I thank you, Lord, that you have carried out our fathers out of this land and you have led them into the land of, of Canaan and blessed them. May the blessing come upon the people of Israel. And here it says, I will testify before you, I did not give it uh, in dishonor, I did not give it to sorrow, I did not give it for the dead. This is what we do, this same kind of worship that we do every Sunday. Malachi 7, 21-23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. People think that they're feeling the will of the Father while fulfilling their own desires. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Some God loves and others he despises. Therefore, he gives birth from water uh, only those whom he loves. He gave birth to us by the word of truth. For these people, these are people who search for not what is in God's pocket, but God himself. I understand quite well rich men. They are always they always try to be careful because the woman who marry them, uh, they're worried that they're marrying them from for their money. And sometimes they're not even uh, afraid to say it out loud. And oftentimes, many of them grow resentful. Uh, one point, not too long ago, I saw something about this very rich person. He was a millionaire in Russia. It was a documentary. He wanted to get married and he became a homeless man and he lived along with the homeless and no one knew, knew who he was and he was like a homeless man and he had paid attention to this one woman. Her children had cast her out of the house and she had nowhere to go, nowhere to live. And slowly communicating with her, talking to her, he had fallen in love. And he had offered her to marry him. She had agreed, not knowing that he was a millionaire. He thought that she, that she thought that he was also as homeless as her. And then he does a show on TV. He calls her family. She doesn't know anything. He calls her her family to this TV show. And his secretaries come with the business books. And he is dressed differently. And they, the family finds out that he's this rich man. 
Something similar God had done. Why was he not found or discovered? He also was clothed into the body of a person. He was not noticed. And he had entered into this homeless surroundings, these sinners. Pharisees said, how could he be with around these people? He can't be a righteous man since he are next to these sinners. But he sought for the bride. The Pharisees, where are you looking? Go to the priest, go to the kings. Where are you looking for this bride? And he did find her. And he had adorned her in such a way that it's written that the kings were astonished. They never knew of its existence that this beauty had existed. They were astonished. Who is this man? They never expected it. They waited for a king that would come in glory, that would turn on, that would put on the Roman ego. But he came impoverished. He was born in, in a den. It doesn't mean we need to be poor. We need to be just as we are and thank God for what we have. Our time has come to a conclusion. All right, let us bend our knees, bow our heads, let the Lord bless us and those who, all those who desire to come to Christ. He is in new garments now. But he had found us as sinners. We were born sinners. But he had found us. And he had taken upon himself our illnesses, our poverty, our shame. And he had given to us the kingdom of his father. Obviously, under certain conditions. Those who desire to challenge the desires of their flesh and every lie, sin, illness. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. Come here, we will pray for you. Amen. Now I'll pray along with you with your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. He truly can, in the blink of an eye, heal any pain, take off any shame, open any door, free from any kind of dependency of sin. And He is ready to do this. He wants to do this. The Holy Spirit is here not to bring you shame, but to take your shame, to cover it, to forgive you, to heal you and to draw to himself. Your eyes closed, your hands raised to the heavens. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my fear, my shame, my sin, my pain. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, protect me, cover my shame. I accept your word in my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Amen. Amen. Let your sins and your transgressions be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His holy countenance and give you mercy. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and ten thousands at your hands, but not draw near you. 
May all of these blessings come upon you and upon your descendants, and may they be fulfilled upon you. And let all the people say, Amen. And now, all together, let's proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.